Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast episode. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and tonight I have Jamie Tagan on the call. And Jamie, if you don't know, has been, um, I would say you've racked up more cooking experience than most people probably have in their life. And and that's <laughs> saying something because we're both pretty young. And so we thought it would be a good time to have you on the podcast right before season and help people kind of think about what they can do with their animals to make the best yeah. meals once they get home. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate you calling me young, but um, yeah, I mean, I've been a chef since 2002 and um, really just love wild game cooking so much. Um, and it's fun to exper- experience it with others, my husband, you know, family and stuff like that. And it's just a great time. And especially now where like people are thinking about uh, what do I do with the stuff in the freezer right now? <laughs> right. Well, hopefully people have that. A lot of people I've been talking to have been at the point where they're like, should I unplug my freezer? There's nothing in it anymore because yeah. I'm out and we're getting close to season again. So. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm at that point where I... I've had a couple of really good years and we've been doing a lot yeah. more dough management here in Minnesota. And so cool. I'm trying to cycle through as much as I can. Cause we leave and by the time this airs, we will be in Colorado elk hunting in September. Awesome. But as we, I mean, April, uh, August 24th. So it's like two and a half weeks. We're going to be hitting the road. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we shoot eight bulls. That would be amazing. We'll probably be lucky to get one. But if we did get eight, I'm like, I don't think I have freezer room for an entire elk right now. You're like, please take it. Take it. Oh, yeah. But you can never do that because it's so good. It's delicious. Yeah, I know. So (laughs) just buy another freezer. I've done that twice. Um, I have like, I don't know what everyone else's system is. You probably have a great system. But my system is I have an upright freezer, a sole freezer, not a combo. And I put a lot of my finished individually packaged things on the shelves. And then I have a big chest freezer. It's probably like a 21 cubic foot. And I found that when you get like an extra large milk crate, those plastic milk crates, you can get them. Typically they're square, but you can get the rectangle version and they fit perfectly sideways. And I can stack two up three wide. So I have six milk crates and I'll put a different type of meat or game in each one. So I have the blue one is fish because it reminds me of water Um, Uh you know, and they're all color coded. I don't remember any of the other colors except the fish one, (laughs) but I'll put like pork and trimmings in one for making sausage in and make, um, I'll do a lot of whole bone cuts on whitetails, especially like, I don't really like to trim out the shanks anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'll put those all, I'll wrap those and put those in one. And that way I can actually lift one out and get at the bottom of my chest freezer. That's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, great I just idea. stumbled across it on accident. I've never seen anyone <laughs> else do it. You probably have to make like, sure. I'm picking that hack. <laughs> yeah. You might have to make sure you have the right freezer for it. But mine yeah. <laughs> just, I got lucky. I can, they fit like within an inch of perfect um, in every dimension. And then I have some room on top. So that's kind of the overflow. I can stack a couple things on top. And then I have a little side yeah. pouch where I keep like ice jugs. Um, that's great. But that's yeah, really great. But I still need to, <laughs> I need to get through them all and, and start making some stuff. And, and so um, maybe after this conversation, I'll just be all fired up and I'll run out and pull some things out and fire up the pellet grill and start cooking again. <laughs> that's awesome. So. We have a tendency to, um, so we do a lot of small batch stuff. So we don't, like when we process an animal, we're not processing it all at once. Like I, I'll t- leave a front, front shoulder or a hind quarter just for later if I want to try something new with a grind or, you know, a cut or something like that. So I have legs in our freezer. <laughs> to be fair, I do too. Um, I went through a phase of efficiency. And so I was shooting... I mean, here in Minnesota, we can shoot uh, two white-tailed does during the regular deer season, and you can use any okay. weapon that's open. But then we have an early antlerless season as well that allows you to shoot three additional does. It's only on one weekend, Whoa. though. And then we get our any deer, which is typically your buck license, but you could shoot another yeah. doe with that one. And so I've been, wow. you know, we've been solely off of beef for a long time, in, me and my yeah. wife, because we're just, we don't have kids, and we shoot enough. Um, and yeah. so... We've been doing that. Well, when I travel two hours to the farm to hunt on a weekend and I shoot Mm -hmm. two deer and then I got to get them taken care of, butchered in the cooler and hit the road again on Sunday night for work on Monday, I started realizing like I don't have time to trim out any of these shanks. And so I'd cut the (laughs) shank off and just wrap it. And then I got to the point where I'm like these these front shoulders on a doe, like a yearling doe especially, like there's not a lot there. So I started wrapping those whole and oh for sure and i tried um i've tried a couple different methods the latest one i've tried is a uh, i'll um put it on the pellet grill for a couple hours and try to build a little bit of a bark and i don't try to go too yeah. long because there's just not enough moisture in that meat to do like a brisket no. cook but then i'll wrap it and add a little moisture and basically mm-hmm. the, the goal is to basically kind of pressure cook it or, or be able to shred it and use yeah. that for either barbacoa um i tried to do some I tried to copy the Chipotle barbacoa recipe because we love that. Um, and I didn't quite get it. It's very good, but it's not the same as theirs. Or just taco meat, like shredded taco meat. And then I use that for yeah. my meal preps every week. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we, so my first um, backcountry hunters and anglers rendezvous in Missoula a few years ago, um, we, Randy actually gave us, um, my friend and I, Corey, a uh, wolf hindquarter. And there's no, there's no fat on those. So we smoked it, but what we did was we um, put bear fat on it okay. and then wrapped it. That turned out so good because, I mean, they're super lean, just like a young fawn or, you know, like a yearling right. d- doe or deer, whatever. 
there's no fat. So of course you're not going to get any moisture to like really for it to like shred apart. But we added that bear fat. It was so good. That's good. <laughs> it was and really so good. I assume with a wolf, like any carnivore, you have you really have to get it up to that 160, 165. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But it just shredded off. I mean, that fat like just really, really helped. Um, and of course, wrapping it properly too, just like really soaked up that that goodness and moisture. And it was not dry at all. It was it was pretty tasty. Yeah, that would be tasty. I had a coworker once, and so that we're in Minnesota, North Dakota, by mind you. So we, we weren't bringing in sharing wolves, but <laughs> he shot a coyote. And he was a, a, a DIY home chef, like not in any type of professional or, or um, trained capacity, but just loved to cook sure. and kind of was known for it. And so he brought in coyote sausage, like breakfast sausage. And yeah. he just showed up at my desk with a warm sausage on a, like an individual paper plate. And, I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, hey, Brian, you should try this. And what, like we know, like I, he knows I love to hunt. I know he likes to cook. Yeah. And so I think he just assumed I would be interested. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't know how you got this coyote. I don't know what you did to pre- like prepare the meat. I don't know how you cooked it. I'm like, I, I, I suppose. And I ate it and it was fine. It, you could tell yeah. it wasn't a deer or a pig, but I'm, yeah. I looked at it and I'm like, I really hope you know about trichinosis. <laughs> so. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> and it was five years ago, and I'm still alive, so I I, yeah. I survived. <laughs> so he did something right. <laughs> he did something right. I would not make a practice of probably um, saving the meat on a coyote. After, no. There, I think there was a lot of pork and seasoning in that mix. Um, <laughs> Mostly pork, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one coyote. I made 25 pounds of pork sausage. It's yeah. 25 yeah. to 1. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, oh, so... With the season coming along, um, I thought it was a good idea. There's one question that me and my elk hunting group go back and forth with all the time. So we archery hunt. It's usually it's usually warmer than you'd like to keep meat out. It can get yeah. cool at night. So what is the what would someone want to keep in mind if they shoot an arch an animal in archery season? Just say archery season in general, where. The daytime temperature is definitely above a, a fridge temp. Yeah. Maybe the nighttime can cool off. Obviously, shade's a big part of it. But how long can someone keep a quarter hung in a bag that, that has airflow, like a true proper game bag, before they need to start thinking, like, we need to make a trip into town, we need to find a butcher, we need to get this thing in some type of a cooler environment? Yeah, so you... Um, so when we, so I don't archery, archery hunt, my husband does. Um, but when he, if he gets something this time of year, um, we usually like to hang our animals, but we don't let the temperature like in our garage or even outside. Um, we don't let it get really below like, or above, I guess like that 49 to 50 degrees. Okay. So if it's anything above that, we're like on ice in the cooler, uh, making sure that it is because you don't want any of that meat to go rotten. Uh, we had a deer, um, actually my friend's bear, um, he kept it out too long and it got over 52 degrees outside and the meat was completely ruined. 
and just a sad, <laughs> like oh super gosh, sad, you yeah. know? So, I mean, we ourselves, when, um, like my husband got his bear, his spring bear, I mean, he came off the mountain right away. Okay. Um, I mean, and that's like hot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so he came off the mountain right away. Cause we're like, we're not going to, we're not going to like spoil this meat, get it on ice as fast as you can. Um, just like, like antelope, it's super, right. And it can be very sensitive. Um, you know, with antelope, you have to get it to a really cool temperature really quick, or right. you're going to taste that, you know, taste that, you know, sage or whatever pretty quickly. Um, because it's a sensitive animal, but, uh, I mean, I feel like elk are pretty stout. Um, you can keep them a little longer, but anything over that 49 to 50 degrees, I'd say you need to get it on something. <laughs> so even, you want to keep it below that. Yeah. So if you shoot one, um, in some side of like a backcountry scenario where it's going to be like multiple days before we can get out of here with backpacking. Mm -hmm. So you, you do all the tricks, like hang it up, get airflow. You don't want to like seal it yep. off in like a garbage bag. No, nope. get That's shade. Terrible, yeah. Um, maybe yep. if there's like a cold Creek, get, get some coldness on it. Um, but is there like a, that I would actually, I might have to rethink what I was thinking. Cause originally I was thinking like, Oh, even in archery season, if you put it in the shade, and it cools down to like 30 degrees at night, you can make it multiple days. But now I'm wondering if I, I need to be like, eh, we shot at this at the beginning of the hunt. We should just bring it down to town right off the bat to um, try to get this in a cooler. I get what you mean. Um, I like having meat sit out is, is really scary to me. If okay. you, especially if it's like, if you don't know what the temperature is going to be, but if you have an idea, just prepare, right? Okay. I mean, if you have a creek, put it in the creek, but you don't want that. You also don't want that water flowing over the meat either. Right. You have to kind of get it propped up over the yeah. water, but getting that cool airflow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, once it gets down to the temperatures that you can just like let it hang and kind of age a little bit, you know, that's, that's perfectly fine. But in these temperatures that you know in the fall that can be up and down <laughs> just prepare ahead of time well that's you know? why we typically have now Golly. been bringing chest freezers with us and generators yeah. but then you know we've always had every year we've had an issue like the generator doesn't like to run at altitude or the yeah. chest freezer's not working because we just rattled it down a mountain road for yeah. five miles and so yeah. typically I mean, if we're not dry ice if you take dry ice and wrap it you know like Usually it'll last you a couple days for sure. Um, like we. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. What makes a Steelhead Outdoors gun safe stand out aside from being the only American made fire insulated modular gun safe on the market is the fact that you can customize your safe to be the perfect fit for you. Whether you pick one of the fan favorite colors inspired by our national parks or one of the nearly 1,000 custom colors they offer, your safe is going to be perfect. You can even get a safe in a rust color where they actually make the metal rust to just the right level and then they seal it so you always have a perfectly rustic looking safe. And that's just on the outside. When it comes to the inside, you can configure it all kinds of different ways by adding panels to the door, using shelves on half to organize ammo, or even adding their motion-activated light kit. 
I went with their brand new Recon 32 line in the awesome tactical looking black and white. And I currently have my safe set up with lawn guns on half and shelves on the other side so I can store all of my ammo and I love it. But the best part is it's completely modular. So as your firearm collection grows, you can configure your Steelhead Outdoor safe to match. Check out SteelheadOutdoors.com to build your custom safe. And use the code WESTERNROOKIE, one word, WESTERNROOKIE, to save $150 on your Steelhead Outdoors safe. So we do like multi-day rafting trips. Okay. And, you know, we're taking meat on these trips. And so like what we've done is um, either put our cooler in a freezer or um, take like just really, really cold water and just like essentially freeze our coolers or take um, dry ice, wrap it and then put um, bubble wrap on top of it. So it acts as an insulator. Oh, yeah. And, and that'll actually make it last longer. Interesting. So, so that'll buy you a couple days with that dry ice. Because if you don't wrap it, it'll only last like 24 hours and the dry ice is going to be gone. But wrapping it and putting an insulator of that bubble wrap, it'll buy you time. And it'll last us, I mean, we're on the river for six days. And it'll last us five to six days for sure. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, that's so that, th- would, that could be an option too, because then you're, uh, you know, with the dry ice, you're keeping your coolers like the whole inside outside uh, to temp as well. Oh, yeah. I think it would be, I think a lot of people, myself included, would probably be surprised if we knew like what the temperature of like the inside of a rear quarter really is. And yeah. we never bring a thermometer. Maybe we should throw yeah. that in the camp kit. But <laughs> you touch the outside, and you're like, "Oh, that feels cold. We should be good." But you like, especially when when they like in the like I don't know, decades ago when when before everyone knew you had to get the hide off of an elk right away. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, they they spoil from the femur bone out, not from the outside in. And because they're 104 degrees when they are on the <laughs> hoof, and if you don't take that hide off, it stays that warm for a long time even though it's winter and it's snowy out yeah <laughs> so maybe that's the yeah. thing to do is just bring one of those in like those old um not even a digital but just an old like turkey fryer you'd have to get the yeah. right temp range but just put <laughs> it in and be able to be like oh boy we got to go to town yes yeah i mean and they have those instant readers i mean those things aren't going to run out of battery on you and they fit right in your pocket so yeah you know it's that's an easy thing to kind of put in your pack if you needed to or at camp. I so. actually won one of those at our White Elephant Christmas last year, so I should just throw <laughs> that in. Yeah, the little one that folds like there a little pencil. And it's actually yeah. long enough, too, to get into the middle of a, an elk For quarter. sure. Yeah, that's there a good go. idea. Now I, I, gave you a, I gave you a little life hack. Now I got one in return, so we're <laughs> off to a good start. I love it. So, um, yeah, so once we get the meat – cool and and i liked how you mentioned the antelope you you didn't do it for the listeners but you did the they taste like sage in quotes does that mean it's not actually sage that you're tasting well i mean like a lot of people don't like antelope because you know you find antelope out in sage land you know prairie land where there's you know just a lot of like random grasses and a lot of people if you don't process antelope correctly you're going to taste that because it's a, it's a sensitive meat. 
And so, and like to us, because we process it like literally right away, we don't get any of that. Like antelope is probably, it's literally my number one. I absolutely love it. I've never had antelope that is bad, but I just know how to take care of it. I mean, I mean, we get our antelope and we're like headed home, you know? So. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, I've always hunted them. Spoil, it's just so good. <laughs> yeah, I've always hunted them with like a cooler full of ice. And I mm. always leave it, the ice in the bags. So that way when I shoot an antelope, I've only done this once on my own, but my brother does it a lot. Or he'll have his freezer plugged in running and froze. So when he gets an antelope, it goes right into the freezer. But yeah. that way you can lift the whole bag of ice up and put your antelope on the bottom and then put it down. Because if you take all the ice out, you can get more in it, but then you can't get into it to get. Yeah. And then every, when you scoop it out, you lose all your ice because it's now in the truck bed and mm-hmm. it just becomes a mess. So, yeah, I've always we've always hunted with a cold freezer or a cold cooler for antelope. Yep. And we love yep. it, too. I think we'd say the same thing. It's some of our favorite, like, antelope steaks. Oh. Delicious. Oh, good. So. You can't go wrong. I mean, it's. Everybody asks, what's your favorite wild game to cook? And it's like, hands down, antelope. It's just my favorite, absolute favorite. <laughs> Are there any animals that you do not get excited thinking about cooking them? Um, I mean, like, we cook a lot of, I mean, all wild game is really, really good. It's more of, like, tasting different things. Okay. Um that some of them make me cringe and some of them don't (laughs) i've had a lot of weird things to eat uh but um i mean i get excited about cooking all wild game and just seeing like okay what can i do something that's personal to me to make it different than like a different chef has done interesting Um, okay and kind of making my kind of niche on that one dish or you know, something like that, or being able to use multiple game, uh, wild game in the same dish, and it would taste just as good. Um, if that makes any sense, but sure. I like it all. I think it's just, if somebody gives me, I mean, something random to cook, I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> like my yeah. father in law, he, uh, we went paddle fishing uh this year and he brought me a beaver hindquarter a beaver yeah and i'm like okay (laughs) let's do it (laughs) i have a for some reason i feel like i heard that like beaver tail used to be a delicacy back when the trapping era was around because of all the fat in the tail and and you know being in the basically Mm -hmm. you know woodsmen and bushcrafters they didn't have a lot of fats and so they would like the beaver tail is considered a delicacy yeah yeah, I've never cooked beaver tail. I've never eaten it either. Um, I would love to someday. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to catch one. <laughs> I want to taste it. <laughs> but... yeah. yeah, the reason I ask about the animals that aren't as fun to cook is because I've heard, I've heard so many different, um, I would say, conspiracy theories on which animals taste bad. And then someone, as soon as I'll hear that, the next podcast guest will be like, I love that animal. Like, yeah. Something as simple as bears. Somebody will say like, ah, I didn't really like the taste of a bear. And then the next person says, I love spring bear. Like you get, and so I, and especially okay. with the sheep and goats, I hear a lot of controversy on people thinking yeah. they taste horrible. And then the next person's like, no, I thought it tasted great. Like, obviously you got to cook it right, but it turned out really well. 
yeah and i mean an old goat and an old sheep are going to taste way different than a younger one you know i mean just like any other animal um but again it's like how how you learn how to cook it too i mean um there are meats that you just literally have to cook the heck out of for hours (laughs) you know and (laughs) in order for it to like actually break down and you know be edible but um uh have you so we're dabbling in like canning meat Mm, yeah yum uh we're totally obsessed so I, I'm really intrigued by the idea because it would allow me to take meat, get it into like a good serving size. Cause we do a lot of meal prep. Me and my wife do a lot of meal yeah. prep. And so we'll cook oh, okay, cool. one day a week. We, we cook anywhere from like eight to we've been doing as much as like 28 meals. If we're doing two a day for seven days. Oh, wow. So yeah. it really can add up. And so it's like, well, I don't really want to like, really, I don't want to cook 10 pounds of taco meat at once because that doesn't fit in a pan and now you're doing like multiple you know batches of taco (laughs) meat on a sunday and it turns into an an all-day adventure whereas like the canning if i'm understanding it correctly you you it goes in and when it's you can store it at room temperature in a darker environment and you can pull it out and eat it yep yeah so So, uh, i mean it's cooked going in or does it cure while it's in you so you put it in raw and okay. then you literally you don't put any um any like juice in it or anything like no broth and then a simple seasoning you can it just as you would like we have a pressure cooker that we put it in um and we used uh let's see like quart size jars okay um, so the bigger mason jar the bigger mason jars yeah and so and then that cooks in about 80 minutes um for it to come to temperature and then yeah you just store it like you would pickles or whatever um and we we do the court there's only three of us in our family and we do the court size and it's great for one meal it feeds all of us you can eat it cold it's just as good cold but it's like a quick I mean easy meal that you can heat up real quick and sandwiches tacos I mean whatever you want we do a lot of like you know, put it on mashed potatoes or rice or whatever with a simple gravy or something, you know, and it's like really quick. It takes literally minutes to heat up, you know, so yeah, we, we really, really like it. Um, but yeah, you just store it like any, any can yeah. vegetable or whatever. So. Well, we're going to be planting a garden next year because we have the room to plant a garden finally. Yeah, and so my awesome. wife is super excited about it. And so we moved in halfway through the year and the garden just had weeds. And so I took the fence down, <laughs> I mowed it. We're going to get the tractor and we, and you know, turn it over and everything. But she's already yeah. looking at one of our pastures because it used to be a horse facility. And so she's okay. already looking at one of the pastures and she's like, what if we move the garden over there and use that entire <laughs> pasture for the garden? I mean, keep in mind, these are like half acre pastures, but still a half yeah. acre garden is a lot of garden. <laughs> that is a lot that's awesome it's kind of sad i can't grow a, a thing and as a chef that's terrible um i have tried and tried and tried and i i can't grow anything and my parents are incredible gardeners like they can literally put something in a little dish and it'll grow <laughs> i can't grow anything so i have lots of friends that give me things 
you probably it's just like everyone's got a strength and yours is just like in the kitchen and so it's like you guys grow it for me and then bring it over to the kitchen and we'll take it from there like i'm gonna take over there so yeah but yeah Yeah. that's nice because we'll we'll probably have to start canning once we start getting this massive garden producing and and we can't you're gonna have to build a new pantry (laughs) we uh yeah we might we have a big utility room downstairs with lots of shelving so i think that's going to be the start and if that runs out then we will have to start adding different rooms um but we do have Mm -hmm. we got lucky with a pretty big house and we don't have kids yet so there's plenty of space (laughs) to start storing stuff i can see it now (laughs) yeah so i would love to raise some of my own chickens and pork but Mm -hmm. we have compromised and not going to do that based on the smell and the noises (laughs) yeah we tried chickens um we we actually lived in north dakota for a while oh um and uh we tried chickens and they were meat chickens and um i will tell you right now that i will never do chickens again (laughs) (laughs) not a fun experience not a fun experience i mean they were really sweet but um they were just tough um the how fast they grow is really astonishing and yeah it it just grosses you out really and you're like this is just not normal and so (laughs) i'm I'm done with chickens yeah i have coworkers that do it leg egg chickens are way different i think i mean anybody who raises chickens for eggs is is totally awesome and they kind of become part of your family but meat chickens i'll stay away from that My my issues. I don't know what to do with the egg chicken in the winter time because we have like, we can get two three feet of standing snow pretty easy here in Minnesota. But we have like a five hundred square foot chicken coop right out back that the farm came with. So we have everything we need. We have some horse stalls, but I don't know. Like, I just have to do the research and be like, am I supposed to like bring these into the horse stalls all winter long and like winter them inside, or do they still stay out in the chicken coop and just put up with the snow? How does all this work? They'll probably really love your horse stalls. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think the previous owners did. Yeah. But then I got to walk all the way out there to get my eggs every morning, and that can be pretty cold some days. Uh, in Minnesota and in North Dakota, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's just as cold as North Dakota, except North Dakota probably gets a little bit worse because of all the wind. I used to live in North Dakota as well. And yeah. Yeah. Those Oof. winters were kind of brutal. I don't know. I'd be like, yeah, maybe I'm going to have pancakes today instead of eggs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I'm, I'm in Montana now. I'm certainly, I I don't miss those North Dakota winters. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been nice just getting out of the wind, to be honest. Yeah, so, um, absolutely. But, but yeah, one thing that I wanted to ask you, I've been saving this question for weeks to ask, um, <laughs> because I think a lot of people get into the the rut, if you will, of when we get an animal, we do this with each cut. You know, the back straps we cut up for steaks, the tenderloins, we maybe cook those while we're butchering it. If you have like a deer Mm -hmm. camp style tradition. And then I know a lot of people that I talk to about butchering, the rest pretty much goes to grind a lot of times. And sometimes they turn that into, you know, brats or they bring it in and get something made from it. But a lot of people, I feel like underutilize a lot of cuts on an animal. And so if we just talk, for example, of like a deer or an elk, something that's pretty familiar with most people, what are some Mm. of your um, different cuts or things to do with different cuts that you think are like 
very much underrated, like a sleeper recipe for some of these cuts that would probably end up in the grind pile. Yeah, I mean, so I know this is an organ, but we save all of our hearts. I feel like heart is super underrated. Okay. Um, just because you can really do anything you want with it if you were to do a steak or tacos or anything like that. And um, it's just really good and tender. Um, okay. I think it scares a lot of people um, to cook the heart <laughs> because <laughs> it is intimidating. I mean, you see this thing and it's like, oh, what's this white stuff around it? it? You know, it's tough. You know, you have to work around the arteries and stuff like that. But really, like, when, once you kind of, like, figure out the science of it and how to break down a heart and you get these, you know, two to three really great steaks where you can just season like you would any other steak, it's really, really good to try. Um, I mean, you can do tartars with it and a regular steak, you know, tacos or whatever. So you can really do anything with a heart that you can with like a regular steak. Okay. Um, another thing too, is like, um, like you think of tri-tip and beef. Yeah. Well, deer and elk also have tri-tip, you know, and it's become a really popular, um, kind of cut of meat. Obviously it's going to be much smaller than a, a cow or beef. Right. Um, but it's there. And then also a, a coulette, which is um, around kind of where the tri-tip is. Um, and it's kind of a smaller cut of meat as well, but it's great for like um, stuffing it with things um, and doing like a nice roast on it. Um, and, and it's not very big either, but for like one person for a night, it's like a great meal. So, okay. <laughs> but yeah, um, and usually a coulette is like you would cut it into they call it like a pecana. Um, you would do it like it. They kind of do it in skewers sometimes. Oh, okay. Um, and when you cook it, it kind of rounds. Um, okay. Uh, it, you'll have to look it up, but um, so that's kind of the same thing. But I think those are like my three that people just like throw away because they're smaller, right? Um, and don't kind of really understand what it is, so. I think one thing that changed, mostly changed how I butcher a deer or an elk is understanding all of the different muscle groups in the rear quarter mm -hmm. and how yep. there's so many different things going on where growing up deer camp, it was like everybody butchered on Sunday and it was just <laughs> cut everything into like, you know, baseball size pieces and put it in the grinder. And so you take yeah. like a big scoop out of that rear quarter. Cause you get like a, you can get a pretty big chunk of meat without a bone in it. Yeah. But like you're really just cross cutting all of these different cuts. And like, mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, maybe it's just me not understanding the different cuts that a butcher knows, but it's like yeah. pretty much all of the rest of the steaks other than like the ribeyes and the strip are in the mm -hmm. rear quarter. So in yeah. like all of your different yeah. sirloins and your round steaks are all in the rear corner. I figured, sure. I don't know where, I guess if you would have asked me when I was 15 where all those steaks were, I'd be like, I don't know, just different portions of the backstrap probably. <laughs> yeah, in my in my belly. <laughs> right, yeah. They, well, they're not here anymore. That's where they're at. Um, yeah. And but, so that's I mean, really helped. I think, yeah, I'm, and we're, like when we process animals, we are very careful and we, I mean, we like set every piece out, you know, like, all right, we don't have a whole lot of grind, um, to be honest, just because like, if there is fat on it, like use it and, you know, use it, 
grill it up you know like right. don't cut it off don't cut it all off because like a lot of these animals you know in in rut season they're not gonna have a, a ton of fat the does are you know especially in later you know winter if you're able to get like a winter but hunt you know you can have some of that fat and render it down or keep it on the meat <laughs> but I don't know it's I feel like um I don't know. We've like just really, really taken the time, um, to get to know each part. Mm. Um, and the parts that are small really kind of do grow in the grind. And that's where we do a lot of small batch type stuff because we want to try new things. And, you know, maybe those part those pieces that go in the grind, cut them up small. And that is the canning, you know, right. Um, instead of tossing it into a grind. So. Yeah. One thing that, I struggle with is we, you, my wife loves ground. She loves taco meat in her meal preps. And yeah. I, I usually do like a, I usually take the shanks and I will just slow roast them in the, in the, in our big roaster until they get real mm -hmm. tender. And then I shred it, yeah. get rid of some of that stuff. Doesn't, you don't want to eat. I mean, eat the fat <laughs> for sure. But the, like the tendons, when they, when they turn yeah. the gelatin, they, they don't taste that great. <laughs> a little bit of a <laughs> weird texture. That with a, yeah, I mean, you could do that with like a front shoulder too, you know, to just because those those don't have a ton of meat. If you have a smaller, right, you know, deer, you know, yeah, break we'll, that down. That's what I wanted to get. I originally thought the roaster would work good for that. It, I learned that if I don't tie the front quarters together before I freeze them. They're too uh, long to put in the roaster, so I got to <laughs> I got to use butcher twine and tie them tie them up so they yeah. freeze smaller. But yeah, that's what we do. But what I really would love is to experiment with. I would love to design like a flat, w wide pressure cooker. So instead of like the can cooker, that's like a deep thing you put small stuff in. I would want to do like yeah. basically a big cookie sheet with a lid that you can seal up and pressure cook oh, and then sure. put like a full quarter, like you said, on a pressure Absolutely. cooker, throw in anything you want for seasoning and then throw that on the grill and basically pressure yeah. cook an entire quarter down and shred it. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I haven't found one yet. Cause they're not, but like, <laughs> I mean, even like the Instapots are just not really big enough to put oh. like a big piece of meat. In. <laughs> I have, you know? I have the rear <laughs> shank on my North Dakota bowl. Um, I, well, I had it. I, it's gone now, but I saved the shanks on that. Because I butchered that bull itself, and it was a lot of meat. The rear quarter yeah. weighed eighty-two pounds, and it was oh, a wow. It was yeah. It was a big, I think everyone says, "Oh, elk quarters are hundred pounds," but they're re they're really not. They're usually like sixty on a, like a raghorn medium bull, and this one was eighty-two. Wow. But I I trimmed out the entire rear quarter, but I kept the shank as a whole, mm -hmm. and I cooked that solo on the on the pellet grill. But when I had it in the freezer, it looked like. Fred Flintstone's bat. I mean, it was like ten pounds, and it was like the like it was the length of my entire arm, and on the on the end of it, it was like six inches. Well, no, way more than that. It was like eight inches across in diameter. I mean, the thing was huge, and there's no way you're gonna fit that in an Instapot. No, no, no way. You'd have to like take a saw every six inches. Yeah, you'd have to make batch like Asabuco. Yeah, um, you'd have to, yeah. but you'd have to batch it because you couldn't fit them all in at once. And so oh that's where I was just wondering if you could make, like, if somebody could make, like, a a bigger, wider, flatter pressure cooker that you'd put, like, yeah. basically the entire, like, it'd probably take up your entire pellet grill or your entire oven, but then you could start oh, to sure. slow cook some of these cuts that just, 
to me, it's not worth my time to try to, to try to butcher and, you know, prep a front quarter on a dough to get all yeah. that meat when I can just slow cook it and all that meat falls off and I get it all anyway. Yeah. I probably have Absolutely. more efficiency that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have those, I have those like 22 quart roasters, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, you can pile those up with quite a bit of meat, but even like a, a small dough, I mean, you still have to bend it somehow to like get it in there. to. Like right. Yeah. You have to tie it up yeah. until it starts to get warm and soft and then it'll fit. But I usually, th- yeah. I, to be honest, I probably, I don't do it the right way. I usually throw like 10 or 12 white tail shanks in my, I think it's a 22 quart roaster. Yeah. And I just throw them in frozen, to be honest with you. I just dump them in, fill it with water. I add a lot of salt. I was told it's supposed to be like almost a tablespoon per pound for bone-in cuts. And that's what I read. I just like, okay, tablespoon a pound. And I just just run with it. Um, And I'm like, I don't know. Each one probably weighs a pound or more. So I did like one and a half (laughs) tablespoons per shank. So maybe it was way too salty. I don't know. But it definitely worked. Oh, that's great. It cooks all the same if it's frozen. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes like all day, long. which yeah. I should probably think ahead and do it when they're not frozen. But um, <laughs> I would just love to batch it and do like a big batch of taco meat. And I use those one quart mason jars too, which mm-hmm. works out. I could fit about two pounds of taco meat in a, in a one quart mason sure. jar, which you're like, oh, yeah. go figure. It's 32 ounces and there's, you know, 16 <laughs> ounces in a pound. <laughs> yeah. But it does work out to be two pounds and that's about how much I, I've been eating a very lean carnivore diet. So I've been using about mm. two pounds a day. Sure. And so I just know if that's what I need. Yep. I have it all measured out for you. And if I could just get in the habit of doing that in the fall when I shoot the animals, instead of putting those quarters in the freezer first and then having to thaw them out later and do all that meal prep, <laughs> I'd be, I'd really be going places. Yeah. So we have, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that we kind of do like small batches and stuff like that, but it's really been fun. You know, we save legs and I, I, I mean, we try and harvest as many animals as possible just because of being a wild game chef. Um, you know, I use so much of it. And so like, I want to save those legs so I can have a specific cut for a recipe, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff like that and be able to choose what I want. But Um, it's fun just sharing that process experience with people that don't really understand it, um, and want to learn about it too. Um, we've really enjoyed sharing that with some of our friends that are like new hunters this past year. Um, just so they can maybe figure out their own process that they want to do. And, you know, I, they were always, they're always asking me for recipes and stuff like that, but um, you know, a, co- a couple of them are like meat eaters and fruit eaters, you know, like they eat a ton of meat. And so their process may be much different than ours, you know. Right. And so um, it's fun to to share those moments with people that are, you know, kind of new to like, pr- you know, field to table processing, you know, all of that thing, uh, all of that stuff. So um we really enjoy that. <laughs> Do you get a special kick out of it when you serve, like maybe you have guests over for dinner and you serve something and they're like, oh my gosh, this is delicious. What is it? And then you'll tell them it's, you know, whatever wild game. And they're like, this is a wild game. 
and they're oh, yeah. just like they're shocked that you could p- <laughs> possibly go out into nature and gather this yourself like it it's so good it has to be farm raised right i find like when people say that it's just like yeah it's wild game i mean it's yeah my mother um hates wild game but she grew up with a dad um that didn't know how to cook it yeah and so it was always overcooked or oh. you know over a season or something like that and so she has literally been like i know that you guys hunt but i will not eat this but <laughs> the last two years and i'm always like trying to like hey mom just try this you know like and she's like an overdone steak gal which is oh. fine like, everybody has their way of eating a steak or whatever and so the last couple of years i'm like mom try this you know it's just a little bite but it's cooked just right you know and so she's like finally coming around well, she's had duck this year. She's had, <laughs> she's tried bear. She's tried all these things. And she's like, okay, I think I can get behind this. <laughs> there you go. But so stuff like that, like I love seeing that, you know, and people just being very surprised um, of really how good it can taste if it's cooked properly. Um, and just teaching people too. I mean, like with these outdoor classes, you know, I love being able to like, have these courses of, um, you know, teaching people pretty simple recipes, but how to cook it right. And I love it when people come up to me and be like, okay, how do you do this? Or um, what's an easy recipe for a family of, you know, four to six or whatever. And, you know, being able to share those, I I don't hide recipes. Like I want to share everything, you know, because I feel like it's really important that, you know, if you harvest an animal that you are doing everything that you can to, um, one, you know, we don't buy meat from the store and, and that's okay. If everybody else does, or however they do their shopping, we don't do that. But to show people like, um, you know, wild game for us is sustainable for our family, you know, and it can't be for you too. Um, and so, these are kind of the steps that we take to make it work for us. Um, you know, and so, and for people to, uh, we have people over all the time and I'm always thrown in wild game, you know, and they're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I love it when they're surprised, um, and, and really like it. So. Yeah. I, that's, I've done that a couple times. I'm always hesitant. Cause you, I don't know. I've maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm always worried that like someone, <laughs> is going to have like a strong aversion to wild game. Like they'll eat meat, um, but not wild game. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. and, and especially with some of these newer things that I was trying, like I was really trying to figure out how to cook shanks so I didn't have to mm-hmm. butcher them, but it took a while to kind of refine the process. So you don't end up with a big glob of gelatin tendon <laughs> in your barbecue sandwich. And so once I got through some of those and I got comfortable like cooking for others that way, yeah. and then to hear them be like, this is, this is wild game. And like, not only wild game, it's like one of the, like what people would think is the worst cuts too. Like most, yeah. I know people that sadly throw the shanks away cause they don't want to deal with them. Ugh. And it's so, it's, so I've, good. It, the, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I, I take them all for our group, our group. Oh, we, sure. we, um, I said, Hey, it's really easy to just cut them off and slow cook them. They pull apart and everyone's just like, well, if you want them, you can have them. So, I, like, if we shoot eight deer in our deer camp, I get 32 shanks, which is a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. 
So it makes such like a good rich sauce too, you know. Um, I mean, just di- not just like pasta sauce, but you could do such good Mexican, you know, moles with it. You know, tossing it with a mole or a ragu and you know stuff like that. Just there, I think there's so much more people. Well, and they're small. There's not a whole lot of meat to a right. lot of the shanks, so people kind of freak out about that. But I feel like it's it's very underrated. Another underrated thing. Yeah, <laughs> that people just don't want to deal with. <laughs> do you do you make broths and stock with? Well, I guess I should ask the difference first. Um, but do you use the long bones to make um, to make like soup stock or stu- soup broth with? We like cut them up, put them in there like a stock. Yeah. We just like the long bones, we just cut in half or in pieces just so it can render out to get the marrow, to open up access to the marrow. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, so you would like throw that in with, I mean, I'm sure it's water based, but then all your vegetables and seasonings, however, you're going to make your stock paste. And so you utilize all those long bones. Yeah. Yeah. And then just strain it out. Um, I personally don't like eating bone marrow. <laughs> um, it's a texture thing to me for me, but uh, yeah, just strained it out. I think it has a lot of really rich flavor. Um, okay. adds a lot. That's one thing my wife wants to try this year is to make some of our own. Um, she loves soup. Personally, oh, yeah. I could do without soup. I, <laughs> I like thicker soups like chili or like a real hearty beef stew, but like oh, chicken yeah. noodle soup to me is just like soggy noodles and warm water. <laughs> funny <laughs> and i know it's just me most of america loves chicken noodle soup so <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> um, but she wants to do that and so I'm, I'm just kind of thinking through like what we would do and obviously i would use like the femur bones for it yeah. the bigger bones and stuff like that and I've well, never now that you're gonna have a quarter acre uh garden <laughs> next year we're gonna have a lot of, yeah we could potentially have like uh, I mean, I would love to be completely self-sufficient on food. I think it would be a ton of work, and we both have day jobs, so it probably wouldn't happen. Um, <laughs> but I was even thinking about doing, like, an aquaponics system where we're growing vegetables on a water system, like floating garden beds, and raising fish or shrimp underneath. Sure. Wow. I, I love that idea. That's a, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> and my wife doesn't like shrimp, so... <laughs> Oh, she probably never want to go out there if those are crawling underneath. <laughs> well, you wouldn't. I think you'd have to do smaller tanks, so you never have yeah. to like interact with the shrimp. You could just float yeah. the the beds over. But it works really good. I've researched with like lettuce, um, and and all of the very high water content vegetables. Interesting. So it's something to think about. I have to look that up. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. It's a it's a very. No, I'm expensive... not a gardener. So... <laughs> well, that's not a gardener. Then you're like a, a hatchery or a fish raiser. So. Um... Oh, funny. <laughs> but but yeah. So what you mentioned something earlier that that I I had an idea and I want to come back to it. But you were talking about saving different cuts or different parts of different animals because you want to try new recipes. And what I was wondering is, did that get very kind of intense while you were doing like the content for outdoor class where you're like, all right, I'm going to need one of these and I'm going to need one of these and I'm going to need this type of animal and this cut and this leg and don't eat that. That's We're saving that for outdoor class and trying to gather all of these different things. Uh, yeah, because you need like two of everything. Oh, really? For, yeah, just because like if you, I mean, for 
TV state sake oh, or whatever. Okay. Like for because I have a couple recipes that um, are like slow cooker, so you have to do one ahead of time, and then do one like the prep for one, and then you show the final, right? Oh, because so, you were you doing it all at a studio? Uh, I was at a house. Okay, but it's like this is this is when the yeah. film crew is showing up. Like yeah. this slot of time, so we got to do it. Yes. it's not like I can take my time and film this part tonight and this part tomorrow. And yeah, so like, um, I did like the ragu that I did. Um, I mean that takes eight to nine hours. Oh, so boy. I had to do that ahead of time, like day before, and then at seven a.m. when we go to film. I would have essentially, we would go through all of the prep and then do the final dish, like taking it out of the oven and Hey, or, you know, out of the slow cooker. I can't even remember what I did, but uh, <laughs> here's the final dish. So to cut that process down. So it's not like nine hours of filming one recipe. Um, you know, you kind of had to do a couple things like that, but um, there's two, two recipes that like were, kind of a longer process that I had to have like a couple things like um I did like heart um okay. you know processing a heart so I had to have two hearts to get different shots um you know of each of those to make sure we didn't miss anything and so um and then cooking a heart after that so interesting yeah interesting so <laughs> well let's let's back up and and just give a quick overview of what outdoor class is and then like what your outdoor class is, just in case. I mean, we had John Barclow on that did the backcountry mm-hmm. mission planning, but in case someone didn't hear that episode and they're hearing about outdoor class for the first time. Yeah, so um, outdoor class is essentially an e-learning platform platform for um, really professionals in the hunting industry. Whether um, you're new to hunting, you like literally – know nothing about hunting, you're seasoned in it, um, this platform is really good for that person. Um, Because you're learning about mule deer, you're learning about elk, you're learning about antelope, how to cook. Um, And so my class is about cooking the wild game that you harvest. Um, And the recipes that I do... um, are things that we typically have in our pantry. So they're not like recipes that I go through and you're like, I, there's no way I can do that, but I can do, but I have this and this and this in my pantry. I mean, yeah, I can do this like literally right now if I wanted to. Um, And so that's kind of how like I approach it because I don't want even like cooking classes that I do uh, here in Bozeman, like I go about it that I want you to be your own master chef in your kitchen. And I want you to go home to feel comfortable with these recipes. And you're like 100% confident that you can do it. Um, I don't use ingredients that have to be shipped across the world or, you know, something (laughs) like that. Right. I use, you know, ingredients that you can get at your local grocery store. Um, you know, and if there's not a, like I used, um, uh, elk, antelope and venison and, um, most of the, the courses that I did and, but you can interchange, like if you don't have antelope use venison or, you know, whatever. So they're very like, um, 
uh, overlapping as far as like wild game goes that you can use. Um, I just, I just really want people to understand that like when I do courses, I want you to take the course that you learned from Randy and Remy and, um, you know, Corey Jacobson and John, you know, using those skills in the field and then coming back and being 100% comfortable in using my recipes, Bree's recipes, Hank Shaw's recipes, um, and just making some really fun things. I like, I like that you had an emphasis on maybe what would be more so like an everyday recipe where it's like, you come home from work and it's like, what are we going to make? Oh, I'm going to make, you know, Jamie Tagan's whatever recipe because we have it mm-hmm. and I can do that. And that's kind of the, I mean, not to maybe put myself too far out on a ledge, but that would be like maybe the one criticism <laughs> I have of like the meat eater cookbook is like everything looks oh. delicious, but I'm like, nope, I don't have that. Don't have that. Don't even know what that is. Don't know how to pronounce mm-hmm. that word. Oh, venison chili. Okay, we'll make that one. Right? And so yeah. it's like a lot of these <laughs> cookbooks, it's like it's a little bit too too detailed, maybe too um, nuanced, like probably tastes delicious, especially if I had, you know, the author cook it for me and it blow my mm-hmm. mouth off. But I'd yeah. like, I'm not that chef. I'm like a three-ingredient yeah. chef. My wife is better <laughs> than I am. Um, but like we got to keep it simple because I'm not very good yeah. at cooking. Well, and two, I, I don't like saying fancy words in a recipe <laughs> because you just call it a sauce or you call it a tomato sauce or you call it something like that because like nobody's going to know what a velouté is. I mean, I, I don't. unless you're like, yeah. So it's like, I, I like, I want people to be comfortable and like literally seeing the recipe and being like, okay i and and not being afraid of like the word ragu i mean i could have just said a meat sauce like a slow cooked meat sauce or whatever but you know i don't want people to be afraid of doing a ragu it's just like i think people get afraid of like things like that that are slow cooked because it does take longer you know but really the prep to do things like that is not is 15 minutes you know right and then you're just letting it be you go to your job or whatever you do, and then you come home and you just eat it, you know? So stuff like that, I want people to just know that they they shouldn't be afraid of, you know, having wild game and not being able to cook with it. Um, and having that meat thermometer, you know, that they can take the temp really quick, um, you know, because wild game can, you know, when you overcook it, it's not going to taste great. But if you cook it to the right temp, it's going to probably be one of the best steaks you've ever had. So, right. <laughs> you know, um, just learning those little, little things um, like Brie, uh, Chef Brie in outdoor class, like she has a lot of great like kitchen hacks, you know, um, and Hank, like he goes through breaking down venison, you know, and he does some really great recipes. Brie has some great recipes. Like she has a chili on there, you know, you're just talking about chili. So there's all these things that you can do together and collaborative um, to make your experience from the field, like much better and ending at your home. So, yeah, I the whole point of like this podcast, I was really hoping to like end up with inspiring people right before season to have it in mind of like, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to do a couple of these different things. Maybe they have time to get through your outdoor class before they go on their next hunt. And so they have like ideas in mind as they're quartering their elk yeah. in the field. Like one thing I've yeah. always wanted to do, if I shoot a big enough elk or if I'm a part of a big enough elk, I would love to try to cut a brisket cut out of an elk just oh, yeah. because, 
I know it's not going to be anything like Snake River's Wagyu <laughs> brisket, but I would just love to try to cook an elk brisket. Yeah, we did a venison one uh, last year. Um, our friend shot a pretty decent mule deer, and it turned out fantastic. And it wasn't a lot, but it was great. Well, typically <laughs> great. a brisket's too big for most people. I mean, let's be honest. Who's going to eat a 14-pound brisket by themselves? Like, you have to cook it when you have company over. Yeah, yeah. And so a venison but... brisket's probably the perfect size for a meal, and an elk brisket would maybe be, like, a perfect size for, like, a meal and leftovers. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. just love to try it. At first, it comes with knowing how to cut it in the field because that part's going to be a little tricky. Yeah, I've never tried yeah, that before. Sure. But, yep. but yeah, hopefully inspire people <laughs> to do something more fun and exciting than spaghetti sauce and taco meat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that stuff is good too. And I just encourage people to just don't be afraid to try stuff. If, if it doesn't turn out, then it doesn't turn out. But at least you're trying new things and not just sticking with, the taco meat or spaghetti right. sauce. Like if you're going to make we do that too. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that we don't do that. We do that all the time because it's just easy. You know, we're all busy. And, um, but I feel like there's so many really good recipes out there that are just as easy as that, that, right. um, you can do with wild game. Yeah. If you're going to make the spaghetti sauce or the taco meat, do it because you, you just are craving that. Don't do it because it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, I have all this venison i might as well just yeah make it in taco meat and move on yeah. to my life like yeah. that that's just not as exciting <laughs> like you the hunt is exciting the the planning the trip itself like we love that part of it and then like mm-hmm. i love cooking it bringing it home and trying all these different recipes and so yeah. um maybe that's the next <laughs> step is to get the outdoor class and just add a couple new recipes to my book i have to ask who was responsible for gathering all the different parts of different wild game for your outdoor class oh they were all mine all yours personally. Yeah. Yep. Oh wow. So were you like? Yeah. Did you have to plan? I don't. Outdoor class is relatively new. I'm sure the behind the scenes planning has been going on for years. But did you <laughs> have like a fair head start of like, hey, next year I'm going to be doing this project, so I need to start like saving a couple different cuts for this project, or was it really like, all right, we're going to town this fall because in two months I'm <laughs> filming this this class. Yeah. So I got. I got approached um, a year ago, November. Okay. So we we have been hunting, and then we filmed um, a year ago, January. Well, so, that's not a lot of time. Like, well, yeah. Uh, so I had we had meat. We had gotten okay by like December first. We had gotten like seven animals. So I had plenty of stuff to. Got you. Film in January. <laughs> so it wasn't like when Randy and Outdoor Class and Gohan approached you, you're like, sure, I'll do it, but I'm going to need one of your antelope quarters, and I'm going to need one of Corey's yeah. elk quarters, and I'm going to need one of Remy's mule deer quarters. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had it all. Um, I think the only thing that I did have to um, use was um, uh, Ryan Bailey. He's the uh, executive producer. Um, I had to use one of his front shoulders. Okay. Um, for, I don't know, I think it was for the ragu or something like that. Um, just because we had gone through ours. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like I when think you said November thing, but... to uh, January, I'm thinking like 
man, if if I don't have my animals tagged out by November, just the way my fall usually goes, like I'm probably not yeah. getting another animal. <laughs> and so it's like if they approached me on a certain, like some years I'd be like, yeah, I could film two classes with all the animals yeah. we got this year. And some seasons, to be honest, it's like, I'll film it, but you guys are all going to have to bankroll it with meat yeah. because I didn't take anything this year. And if you want to film well, this in three months, we're going to have to come up with a plan. Yeah. Well, and that's another reason, like, I why I have, like, full legs. Um, but, like, I have recipes for this next time, um, like, already set, so I know what I need. Okay. Um, and, I mean, I'll be, I'll be filming here in probably a few months, but a uh, couple months for – another class and but I but I know exactly what I need so is there a a theme to the second class or is it just a bunch of new recipes or is it too early to let the cat out of the bag (laughs) uh they're gonna be fun recipes okay um yeah and certainly think comfort food type stuff like what grandma and your mom used to make kind of back then type stuff so um, it's going to be really good. <laughs> if you get approached for a third class, I would just give you a free idea of like a shareables theme okay. with like, like Super Bowl party, Sunday football, yeah. barbecue at the 4th of July, like maybe think like, cause that's always something where every event I go to, I want to, I want to bring a little bit of myself and my character personality and the hunting and my cooking, <laughs> but it's like, what am I going to cook? that like we can easily serve a bunch of people yet it's not like I'm you know using an entire deer to do this event and like when you get to that scale like it's it's hard to find like like a finger food like an entree or not an entree an appetizer an hors (laughs) d'oeuvre like something fun and unique but like maybe a small scale because I've never seen something out there that was like really intentional on on like shareables which Every yeah, cookbook no, maybe has a couple, a but idea. I think that'd be really fun to just like have something where someone picks it up, throws it in their mouth, and oh, this is good. what is this? And, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's yeah. venison, or that's antelope, or that's elk, or whatever it is. That's yeah. coyote. We found it on the side of the road. <laughs> it's funny you say that because, like, um, uh, living in Bozeman, we have the Sitka like headquarters here, mm-hmm. and so I do a, a ton of like wild game stuff for them um, whenever they have like the Go Hunt guys or really anybody. Um, but I always do wild game and it's always like appetizers. It's never like main course type stuff. So I do a ton of wild game appetizers, but yeah, like filming it, I've really never done. So <laughs> well, like you... I'll post it on my Instagram. I'm like, Oh, this is great. Like, <laughs> but you would have a hundred percent market share in the wild game appetizer, uh, cookbook cook, uh, show market industry really it would be an industry you'd you would own it because you'd be the first one to do it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's like i mean all the events that i do here are literally appetizers um just so people can like taste a bunch of different wild games so um like i have a group of 12 guys um coming in september and i'm doing a full-on wild game um like wine pairing with uh wild game appetizers um yeah and so it'll be it'll be really fun i'm excited for that but it'll be (laughs) i i don't i've never developed a taste for wine so that's one opportunity for me to grow um 
but I only know really one Pair wild. With beer. <laughs> I was going to say, I only really know one wild game appetizer, and I don't think it's the kind of appetizer you would pair with wine. It would be more like a beer tasting, but it's yeah. the it's the simple jalapeno bacon wrap poppers with like pretty oh, yeah. much anything. Usually, I use pheasant, a white sure. meat. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't I don't know what wine that would go with, but it would go with <laughs> any of your beers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so. That's funny. <laughs> awesome. Well, just like that, Jamie, we've already racked up over an hour talking about food. And I think awesome. that's mostly because I really am a chubby kid at heart and I love eating. And so, so am I. <laughs> talking about food, I could go on forever. So I love it. But yeah, I appreciate you uh, making time and coming on the podcast, sharing a little bit of your your recipes, your cooking style, the outdoor class, and and um, I want to have you give folks the the link to the outdoor class and where they can find you with your website and all of that. So if they they want to start their cooking journey and maybe even a career one day, they can start with your <laughs> uh, with your course. Sure. Um. So they can go to outdoorclass.com. And then you'll really, I mean, check out all the instructors. They're all incredible in their niche. Um, just, and honestly, like the instructors that are on outdoor class are genuinely wonderful, nice people. So I'm really just honored to be kind of in this group. Um, but yeah, outdoorclass.com, um, Jamie Tagan and, uh, you can actually use my name, J-A-I-M-E, and get 20% off of the class, um, too. Or you can find me um, on Instagram. It's chef underscore Jamie Tagan. And, yeah, go check it out. Awesome. So the, the outdoor class code is just your first name, J-A-I-M-E. Yes. Perfect. And they can get 20% off. Perfect. We will put that in the link in the show notes so if anyone wants to they can just click on that and bring them right over there and we'll put the code in as well and then um, awesome yeah get schooled up and it's perfect time (laughs) really for outdoor class to to get signed up and take the course because there's probably a course that covers not only your species with all the instructors but how to get in and get out with john and now we got the Mm -hmm. hank shaw jamie tagan chef brie all those classes for what to do when you get back home yeah so it's fun. It's perfect. A lot of good stuff out there. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here, Jamie, and thank you oh, for thanks, listening, Brian. folks.